that's why that's kind of what makes this trip funny that like I'm I don't have these long season after season memories of being in the boundary waters but like there's a weird calling from it to be like we need to spend more time together and I'm like okay I'll be there I'll be there in February yeah. <laughs> you know I don't know what's gonna happen when I'm out there but you know I've only really really ever been in it like, twice but I know it's an important space I just, I just know it is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, even though I'm not like this huge paddler, like, I know we're not supposed to lose that space. Mm-hmm. Mostly because there's not really many other spaces like it, especially in the United States, you know. To have experiences like these in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, a place where you don't find motorized vehicles or other items that you could find on the Superior National Forest, is so special. To just be going out into these places with your own willpower and your own muscles and your own ability to trek you through this landscape. The Boundary Waters is such a special area because of that reason. There is just you and this vast wilderness. And I think that's where that relationship comes from because now you are in the hands, proverbial hands of nature at this point. You, I, this, this is the feeling that I'm so excited for. Um, and I felt this last year. It took me a little while to get there. right? So I was out for two and a half months last winter. But you get to a point of repetition and patterns, I guess, to where you recognize you're a visitor to this place, number one, but then, like, you somehow become a part of it. You somehow, like, you start noticing, like, mice footprints across the snow and where they're leading to. You start noticing, like, oh, this moose footprint hoofprint is bigger than that other moose hoofprint that I saw. Like, you start recognizing these different things. You become more observant and, like, immersed in this world. And again, like, that contract between you and nature (laughs) that we were deciding to do. And that contract kind of becomes then, like, a relationship after a while. It's not so much, I get this from you and you get this from me. It's not transactional. No. Nope. It's highly relational. Mm -hmm. Highly intuitive. That's right. Highly felt. Mm -hmm. And I'm super excited for that moment to, like... It won't be the first day. The first day I'm going to be like, uh. The first day I'll probably be like, woohoo. The second day I'm going to be like, uh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the third day you'll be sore as yeah. hell. Yep. And then the fourth day. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth day and the sixth day. Maybe it's like the 13th day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. When I, I was living in Fargo, North Dakota before I moved here, it just seemed like you do the same thing every week and you live in this, you know, you just, you go to work, you do this, that's, you know, your purpose. Um, or that's how I felt at least. Um, but I felt like I was finding a different purpose and a different voice. You know, I always say, I feel like I'm a voice for these animals who can't speak. Um, and that also helped me kind of, you know, be more independent, um, find a love for wildlife, Uh, and then also be their voice. So it's just what kind of was this journey of like finding myself um, and finding this passion that then also helped me to become who I am, who is definitely someone that's more independent. And I would say a strong person, uh, 
you know, sharing these photos um, and teaching about wildlife, I feel like with what I do through social media uh, has made me a strong, independent person. Every time I go up the Gunflin Trail, I photograph the pines as you're going up. And it just feels like this different world that you're entering. Um, and I always say that it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to them and them being the animals. And someone who maybe isn't a wildlife photographer would see it differently, you know, it belongs to the trees or the water, but I see it as belonging to these animals. Uh, and I'm a guest and I'm lucky to be there and I'm lucky to photograph them. And then I treat them that way, that I am lucky to photograph them and be in their presence. The reason why we want to protect it is because we want to be able to go out there and, and enjoy it and appreciate it for what it really is and what it does offer. Um, and, and I think that once you get out there and you see what it is, I think that going out there is like the first step, right? Because then you can really see and feel why it's such a precious place. Welcome back to episode five of a podcast to save the Boundary Waters. The voices you just heard are those of Emily Ford, Katie Mum, and Michelle Kwan. Though each of them approach winter adventure differently, they all share the same love and respect for the wilderness. So how does a person get their own winter adventure journey started? For those of us who don't have access to a mentor, there are other approaches. Here's Dave Freeman. You know, in the beginning, when you first go into the Boundary Waters or someplace like it in the winter, it can be a little bit intimidating um, because it can be very cold. Um, you, you generally have the wilderness to yourself. There's not really anybody else out there. But one of the nice things about the winter is that you can find solitude right on the edge of the wilderness. So I would say if you're a little bit intimidated, um, consider, you know, going slow, uh, you know, maybe make a day trip out into the wilderness uh, where you can choose a nice day and get a feel for it. Um, or if you decide you're going to camp, you could camp, um, you could camp, you know, very close, uh, just you don't have to go in very far or, or even camp at a, a campground, like go to the, the sawbill campground and, and set up your tent in one of their summer sites and then you could make a day trip out into the wilderness. There are many, many places like that. So, so you could be close to your car, you have access to everything um, in case things don't quite go as planned. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, with a little practice, the winter is an amazing time out there. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to add about, you know, if you're a little intimidated about going in the winter right. is, you know, there are a bunch of um, people that specialize in taking you out in the winter that rents uh, heated tents and toboggans and things like that. So, so there are options um, for both being taken on, you know, instructed out in the wilderness in the winter or renting the equipment if you don't have everything you need. A really cool gathering every fall called the Midwest Winters, Winter Camping Symposium. Um, it happens in October. You know, a bunch of people getting together um, and many of them have decades of experience winter camping in the Boundary Waters. And it's really fun. There's tons of clinics, there are lots of um, presentations and just a lot of people that 
that just love to be out in the winter um, camping and snowshoeing and skiing. And so it's a great place uh, to go if you're new to, um, to winter in the Boundary Waters, um, because you'll be able to meet a lot of people that have spent a lot of time out there. Um, probably people that are looking for partners to go, go out winter camping with. Um, you can see all their gear. You can ask lots of questions. It's a, it's a really fun, fun weekend. So definitely worth checking out. With all the hype about spending time in the wilderness in the winter, there are specific challenges during the season that can be a hazard. That's why planning ahead and learning the right skills is so important. Here's Amy Freeman to share about one unique winter travel obstacle. Well, there is one thing, one negative thing you should be aware of, and it's uh, <laughs> it seems to be like, I don't know, a bigger deal in the Boundary Waters than a lot of other places where you can do winter um, travel by like dog sled or, or ski, toboggan, snowshoe, and that is slush. Um, so during the year, <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of a slow, uh, a slow freeze up and sort of a strange freeze up. And so that resulted in a lot of slush on the lakes. And I think, you know, that can kind of happen any winter and it has to do with um, a lot of people sort of freak out when they think of well how could there be slush you know on top of the ice and then it's still safe to like walk on the ice aren't they going to break through the ice um, but sort of to make a long story short um, you can get these conditions where like a heavy snowfall will kind of like weigh down the ice a little bit and water can seep up through cracks in the ice but not big crack, you know, like little, little things. And then that snow insulates it. So even if it's like 40 below zero, you can still happen upon this pocket of slush underneath the snow. And uh, it's kind of like quick setting cement, especially like the colder the conditions you're in. So just immediately it'll freeze to your skis or, or dog sled runners or dog paws. <laughs> and um, why am I talking about all this negative stuff? <laughs> obvious that this is a large network of folks invested in wilderness and that the way once again we come back to making the most of that is by enjoying it like we are right now let's recap how's it been we've been hot camping cold camping this is megan <laughs> and i have had a wonderful time so far i decided to cold camp which contrary to its name, is actually quite toasty if you have the right setup. I was had sweaty palms last night, so it's easy to stay warm when you're winter camping if you got the right gear. Um, and I've really enjoyed warming up water, drinking coffee. One thing I could do better of is drinking more water, you know, always got to stay hydrated. Um, and one other interesting thing that I decided to do to get out into the wilderness was to split board, uh, which for those who don't know is a snowboard that splits in half to, so you can ski up uh, different uh, hills or mountains and then you snowboard down. So I decided to use that to get out here and it actually works quite well and is really enjoyable. And who knows, maybe I'll find some area to snowboard in. Could be fun. Talk about the skins. Oh yeah, so on a split board... Uh, it's so the split board itself splits into two pieces, which are similar to skis, um, like cross country skis or backcountry skis, and they have skins on the bottom that you can attach or detach. 
Uh, so when you get to the top of a hill or a mountain and you want to snowboard down, you take off those skins and attach them together, throw them in your pack, and then are able to enjoy a smooth ride down. Uh, but they do have traction to get you up into where the places you want to be, like the Boundary Waters. This is Maddie. Since this was my first winter camping trip, I feel like I have learned a lot across um, these few days. There's been a lot of learning and it's been a steep curve to get a hang of everything that we're doing out here. But I, but I feel that now that I've had this experience, I can confidently go out and continue enjoying the Boundary Waters in this winter, winter setting without being concerned about the frigid cold or if I will be able to get nice and warm in my sleeping bag at night, which I definitely did. On this winter camping trip, we have been taking our water directly out of the lake. And yeah, we may warm it because it's good to drink warm water, but we're drinking the clean water out of a pristine wilderness lake. Yeah, and I think what really makes the Boundary Waters unique from other places across the U.S. is just the amount of water and the cleanliness of the water that we have here. I spent the first month of January in Nevada and Utah and California, and there just isn't like lakes or just big bodies of water unless um, it's man-made, but the natural resource that is the Boundary Waters and that it is interconnected and flows is really quite incredible. And that I love that you bring that up, Megan, because that is what really this vast vastness of land here. Nobody, everybody who's on this lake or on adjacent lakes got here on their own feet and in some pretty harsh conditions. And the water that we drink is pristine. And without wilderness protection, without the protections that we're continuing to work towards, it would be, you know, like Brainerd Lake or Devil Track Lake, which are great places for people to use their motorized uh, boats and even their jet skis if they want. But nobody's drinking out of those lakes. No one's going to those lakes to seek the solitude that we find right here. Water is constantly moving in those areas. And one of the things I love about the Boundary Waters is drinking from the lakes, you know. You know, I get my steri pen, I drink from the lakes. And, you know, one of the fun things that I like to do is bring an algae back, you know, on my drive and drinking <laughs> the boundary water water on my drive back just because it's like, all right, I won't be able to have this for a while. And, and so it's one of those fun things. And I always bring it home and I share it with my friends like, here, try this water. And they're like, it tastes like lake water. I was like, isn't it great? <laughs> So as we look forward into 2022, uh, one thing that we're really looking forward to in the campaign is uh, raising more support for Betty McCollum's Boundary Waters Pollution and Prevention Act, which is H.R. 2794. And we're hoping to get a vote on that this year and hopefully see it move on to the Senate and get it signed into law. And that would permanently protect the Boundary Waters from sulfide or copper mining on the wilderness edge, which would be quite incredible. Some other things we have happening this year that we're working towards is that 30-day comment period for the Department of Natural Resources that happened in 2021. We are due to get a decision from the Minnesota DNR on whether or not Minnesota's mining regulations are strong enough to protect the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. 
And this is a matter of stewardship. And as we've thought about over the course of this season, these big picture ideas of protecting our planet and the way that we do that is by protecting the spaces that are ours, our little uh, squares of wilderness uh, all over the world. If we're all doing that, we're doing our part for a much bigger purpose. And when I think about protecting the Rainy River watershed, I think about uh, Hudson Bay even, you know, and that by at being at the start of the watershed, when we do our part, we protect everything downstream from us. We cross a border. We're, you know, doing that work not just for us in the Boundary Waters, but for peoples between here and there. And that is a really cool connecting idea. And over here on the eastern side of the wilderness, it's Lake Superior. And it's everybody who's invested in the cleanliness of that. When we do our little part, we're actually doing a big, big part for the larger ecosystem and for the larger wellness for humans, animals, plants, water. Because when we think about the Boundary Waters, right, and why do we want to keep it present? If we're honest with ourselves, we kind of want to keep it present for us. I'd said that. I said that. I want to keep the Boundary Waters safe and protected and alive for, for me. I said that. And I think a lot of people want that. I can also translate that to what I think the ecological system of that place needs also. If I put myself selfishly in their proverbial shoes of what their livelihood looks like out there as well. I don't know. It's for me, it's for you, it's for us. And the boundary, that's kind of the boundary waters. It's just, it, it is. It's for me, it's for you. It's for us. <laughs> you know, and us can you know, include, you know, those gnarly porcupines that love to just chew on bark all day long. Also a loud creature, which nobody knows about, um, you know, to the soil. The soil is us as well, you know, to the water. It's, <laughs> it's, like, the that's, it's like the mantra. Yeah, it's like the mantra of it's, it's the why, you know, and, and you you have felt that too with like you spent you you dipped your toe in that you literally just dipped your toe in the boundary waters you're like guiding <laughs> let's go everybody totally you know mm -hmm. you know, maybe not so many words but yeah for you for me for us right yeah this is matthew i've had some unique reflections over the course of this season uh just reminding myself that in the place that i'm in and i think many of us are in this space I have experience. I have a lot that I can contribute to helping other people learn. And I have a lot that I still really want to learn. And there's a lot of things that still scare me, but there's a lot of things that I've developed comfort around. Uh, doing some cold camping was really great to stay warm, but feeling comfortable with the stove and the setup and being out here with those things and sharing that with you all has kind of reminded me that I, I've been doing this a little while and I and I a little further along than I imagine sometimes my biggest takeaway from this season is just how passionate I am about sharing these stories and sharing this place and that wraps us up with the stories with the experiences with the winter out here for the reason that this podcast is titled 
to save the Boundary Waters. 